throughout my entire career, I never displayed things in my home that would give you any clue that I was an NBA athlete. Trophies, memorabilia, magazine covers. The only evidence would be the size of my shoes laying around the house because I always felt that I didn't want to get soft. I wanted to stay hungry. I didn't celebrate while it was happening. So when I look back, I took inventory, even looking up, having to dig into storage and see what, I was like, wow, like that was pretty incredible. You know, I was actually pretty good. <laughs> and I was too busy trying to chase this ideal or this goal or this whatever that I didn't really fully enjoy it in the moment. Hey, now, what's going on? Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast, episode 225. We are on a heater around here, and that straight fire is still burning this week. I cannot wait to drop this on you. This is an amazing conversation. My guest this week is another Hall of Famer. My guest this week is seven-time NBA All-Star Grant Hill. You want to talk about pedigree. You want to talk about basketball acumen. Very few have ever accomplished what Grant Hill has. A two-time national champion at Duke. A seven-time NBA All-Star. He is an Olympic gold medalist. These days, he's also a co-owner of the Atlanta Hawks. He is a world-class analyst for Turner Sports. He is an author as well, too. He has written an amazing autobiography, which dropped this week. However, all of that said, you may think you know Grant but I would say to you, you will not believe what you're about to hear. Not only did he make himself available, but made himself available for nearly 40 minutes. A conversation that you will not believe. So let's get right to it. It's episode 225 with Hall of Famer Grant Hill. It is amazing, and it's coming at you right now. Grant, it has been a minute or two. It is great to have you on this podcast. So first of all, bring me up to date. How are you living? How are things, my man? You know, things are good. Things are good. It's exciting. Um, NBA Finals, a book out, uh, family's doing well. So uh, no, no complaints over here, man. I hope all is well with you. Yeah, everything's great here. I appreciate you saying so. And lots to talk about, but I want to start with the book. The book is called Game. It's an autobiography. I mean, Grant, traditionally, I think that you've played things fairly close to the vest while living a very public life, right? Like, you're kind of private, but you live this public life. I'm curious about the project itself, the book. Why was this something that you wanted to take on, and why was this the right time? You know, great question, Jim. I, I, I always, um, you know, the, the idea of, of writing a book always kind of frightened me, <laughs> and and uh, and I never really thought I would, would, would do one. But, you know, for me, the enshrinement into the Basketball Hall of Fame back in 2018, I think really lit, lit a spark. And, you know, in that moment, I think you're naturally reflective. And, you know, I, I started to look at the, you know, the full scope, the totality of, of my career, uh, the good and the bad, and, uh, and really started to appreciate it and, um, and reflect on it. And so that really got me thinking, like, wow, like, this may be the time to do this. And, uh, and shortly thereafter, I, you know, went through the process with the publisher and, you know, we had, of course, COVID and had a lot of free time, which, which helped with at least writing the book. So it all kind of came together and, uh, lo and behold, here we are. And, you know, I, I, I kind of, you know, revealed some things and was very transparent and open and slightly vulnerable. So, 
Um, it was not something I, I normally would do, but certainly I enjoyed doing. And, uh, and, and it, was, it was liberating. It was uh, therapeutic at times, also frightening, but ultimately, uh, you know, glad we got it, got it completed. You know, Grant, what an interesting response that was. I mean, I can't imagine, and I'm similar to you. Like, I've been approached a number of times about writing a book. I've not done so. And for a lot of the reasons you just said, I can't imagine that if you took that time to write that book and you thought about and reflected upon the most critical moments of your life on and off the floor, you can't do something like that and do a dive like that without really learning something about yourself. I'm kind of curious, when you came out of that project, what did you learn about yourself that maybe you didn't know? You know, you make a great point, Jim. It's interesting. I I learned a lot. Um, You know, I think the process of of living in the past and living in these moments and trying to really sort of, okay, what was I thinking? Uh, what was I experiencing? Who was I as an individual at these various stages along the way? Um, you know, I, I, I learned, I think one of the things I learned that was really surprising was, you know, we all know I had a series of injuries that really uh, derailed in some respects my career. Um, and I thought that I dealt with that well. I thought that I had no issues with how my career turned out. And in the process of retelling um, a lot of that and a lot of the dark and a lot of the trauma and a lot of the, you know, what happened where I think a lot of fans and a lot of people in general just don't know, um, I, I realized that I hadn't fully processed that mentally and emotionally in real time. You know, I did what I had to do to get back and play. I I recovered physically from that whole ordeal. But I think like when most people go through something traumatic, they may suppress it to survive. And I suppressed it to get through it and ultimately to get back to play. And, and so as I'm, you know, going through this process, I realized like, like, you know, yo, I still, I still am dealing with this and uh, it still is a problem. And uh, so it was really interesting to, to take a deep dive like that and, um, and realize that 20 years later, you've still been holding on to some baggage that, that, that kind of needs to be addressed a little bit. So that, that was one of the, the many things I think that I you know, that I learned uh, about the about myself and learned through this entire process. I mean, Grant, forgive me for saying this. Forgive me for saying this, but, like, holy shit, Grant. Like, that, that is really, really heavy and deep and brilliant. Like, you, you didn't—you're still dealing with it because you didn't deal with it, and you didn't deal right. with it because you had to get through it. I mean— this is really, really fascinating stuff. I mean, like, lay it out like this, Grant. So you go through it. Let's re- let's let us remember when you were in it before you got hurt. You were absolutely killing it, and you put this in the book. Also, you were like on this trajectory where you were an unstoppable force on and off the floor. But then the injuries cut that short, and then you come back, and we can get into that immense credit for fighting your way back, but you weren't the same player, and it wasn't the same story, and it wasn't the same trajectory. So what was that like at that time? What was that process like? How did you get through that? Well, you know, I I think, you know, in sports, and, and particularly as an athlete, I think over time, 
you develop this mindset or you're almost conditioned to always believe you have a chance. And, you know, I oftentimes say that, you know, it's, it's why upsets occur. You know, it's why you can be down 10 points with four minutes left in the fourth quarter and really believe you have a chance to come back and win. And I just think competition and competing and, and getting to the level where you're doing it as a professional, it, it almost, you, you know, you, you have to think that way in order to make it, in order to, to be at that level. And, and so as I was going through, you know, I was just trying to win. You know, I'm down 10 with two minutes left, and I'm trying to figure out a way to get it to overtime so we can find a way to win, you know. And, and, and so uh, at no point did I uh, allow myself or feel sorry for myself. Um, yeah, there were some moments, disappointments, you know, news that, okay, I'm hurt again and I got to go through another surgery. But, okay, you're going to tell me I got to be on crutches for four months. I looked at it like, okay, that's going to get my arm stronger. <laughs> that's going right. to make me better. You know, so you, you convince yourself that you're going to get through it. You're going to make up for it on the back end. Whatever you have to do, you do that. And that's what I did. And, and so I didn't allow myself to feel what I was going through, particularly emotionally. And, um, you know, I was just fighting through it. And, um, and so now also conversely, Jim, this is interesting. And this is, this is also sort of what you gather from the experience like this. I also didn't fully appreciate those good years. And in particular, my Detroit years, you know, I came in there and I had a lot of success right away on and off the court. And for me, I didn't give myself permission to celebrate those accomplishments because I didn't get to where I was trying to go. And that was winning a championship. And so to me, it was like, all of this means nothing until I win. I'm chasing, you know, I'm chasing guys who have their jerseys in the rafter. I'm chasing Isaiah Thomas. And so to me, that was the standard. That was all that I wanted. And, you know, I, I experienced that at Duke. And every year we had a chance, a realistic chance to win. And, we, you know, we didn't win every year, but we got to three NCAA championship games during my four years. And so, you know, when I got to, to Detroit, we didn't come close to winning. And I took that hard and I blamed myself. And I was really, really hard on myself for us not winning. And so I say all of that to say, just as I experienced those dark moments and, and struggled with reliving that and processing that, I also came to appreciate some of those good moments that I had gone through prior. You know, <laughs> one thing I prided myself on, Jim, was throughout the, the, you know, my entire career, I never, like, displayed things in my home uh, that would give you any clue that I was an NBA athlete. I never displayed, you know, trophies, memorabilia, magazine covers, anything. The only evidence would be the size of my shoes that are laying around the house. And in part why I did that was because I always felt that I didn't want to get soft. I wanted to stay hungry. 
I wanted to stay in this pursuit mode. And, you know, and so whatever happened, happened, but I'm looking forward. And this was my Detroit years in particular. And so, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't celebrate while it was happening, even though it wasn't the ultimate win. But I had, I saw when I look back and I took inventory and I'm kind of going through and sometimes even looking up or having to dig into storage and see what, like, I was like, wow, like that was pretty incredible. And, and so I learned, you know, one of the things I've learned, I guess, is just, you know, one, and this sounds real arrogant, but, you know, I was actually pretty good. <laughs> and two, you know, you got to celebrate when you do something good or when a family member does something well. And I was too busy trying to chase this ideal or this goal or this whatever that I didn't really fully enjoy it in the moment. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, and it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. I mean, who wants dried-out, tough beef in a bag? No one. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy for those of you who like to take things up a notch. Next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper Witcher beef. It's amazing, Grant. What an amazing response. Like, there, there's so much in there. I don't even know where to start or how to respond to that. I mean, as I mentioned, there's no way you could write a book like that without doing a deep dive. But you did an even deeper dive than I could have ever imagined. Like, so when you realize that I need to enjoy the moment, whatever that moment is, when you look back on the totality of your career, like you get to Duke and you get to three championship games and you win the first two, you're there. Then you get to Detroit. You have this incredible individual success, but not team success. But you feel badly because the standard was higher and you blamed yourself. Then you get hurt. You do all the work. You come back. You play nine years in the NBA after that. Maybe not at the level that you were before. I mean, when you look at your entire basketball life, and now you have this perspective, what are you most proud of? Wow, that, that's a great question. Um, because my career has, has, I've sort of experienced a little bit of everything. And, you know, I had great team success uh, in college. You know, I had great individual success, like you said, at Detroit. Then I went through some horrific dark moments and and you know, was unsure if I'd get back and I had to fight to resume my career. And then I played and I was a role player and a complimentary player towards the end of my career. And so I like to think that I, I experienced it all. I think, I think a couple of things stand out. I think one, I didn't lose my sanity in the process, you know, and, and I think one, you know, that, and then I didn't quit and I kept fighting. I kept going. I kept doing what I had to do. And in spite of all the baggage that I just unpacked with you over the last 15 minutes, I did have a great deal of joy and excitement uh, and, and pleasure competing and playing at the end of my career when I was older 
and my body could not do some of the things I could before. But you know what? When you go through something uh, and, and, and something's taken from you that you love, uh, when you come back, you really appreciate it even more so. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm glad I, I didn't quit. And, and there was so much uh, that I learned about myself coming back. I, you know, the fight, the grit, you know, the, 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 the never quit mentality, all of that. I mean, all of that you get from sports, too. But uh, I'm glad that I was able to see it all the way through. And, uh, and I'm, I'm more proud now of, you know, of, of what I did. I think there was this void, and maybe this was subconscious, but there was this void because that trajectory you talked about was derailed. And even in retirement, I've been, like, trying to fill that void. And I've been obsessive about, like, trying to find achievement and accomplishment almost in a way to fill what didn't happen. And so I know I'm getting a little heavy on you, but no, um, no. it's amazing. Know, Grant. It, so it's I, amazing. I, 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 it, you learn, you, like you said, you, 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 you know, you, you're unsure about writing here because you got to confront things about yourself that you may not want to confront or that you aren't even aware are issues. And, uh, and so doing that, it's been good. Like it's really been good. I've, I've enjoyed it. And um, I've, it, it, it far exceeded my expectations about discovery, about self-discovery, going through this process of writing the book. I mean, Grant, this notion that you feel like you had a void, that you've been chasing ever since, and that you want to fill this void, again, let's not forget, you're a two-time NCAA champion, you're an Olympic gold medalist, you're a seven-time NBA All-Star, I mean, I, you're a Hall of Fame inductee. You're a co-owner of an NBA franchise, director of the USA men's national team. Hard to, And I understand that it's all internal and it's all personal, but this notion of you having a void. I mean, these are amazing accomplishments. Where does that come from, this notion of I, I still, still there's something missing, there's a void. Is it totally intrinsic? Was there anything external about that? Why do you feel that way? Where does that come from? Well, I, I think it's because you know, I, you know, as, as an athlete and you've, you know, been around the greatest athletes in the world for a long time. I mean, you've had great longevity in your career. And, and so, you know, this as well as anyone, but you, you put so much into perfecting your craft and to get to a point where you're, you know, one of the best in the world because you're in the league and then you're one of the top 20, top 10, top five, whatever. You're, you're one of the top in the world. And, you have an opportunity to, to to establish your career, your legacy, your whatever it can, whatever it is, and you don't, you know, when I made the Hall of Fame, that should be a moment of incredible celebration, and it should validate um, you, and it should just cover for all the things you did and all the things you didn't do. Like it doesn't matter at that point. But when I, when I got into the Hall of Fame, like, I, I was a little bitter because I'm thinking, man, I got into the Hall of Fame and I had an incomplete of a career. And so, um, and so that's where the book and the process, as I said earlier, started around the Hall of Fame enshrinement for me. Um, but, yeah, I, I didn't know that that was an issue. Um, and, you know, I, I've dealt with it and part of dealing with it is acknowledging it. 
um, and, uh, and just being aware of it. But I think also what helps is, 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 is writing this book and, and putting it out there and, 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 um, and just sort of, you know, like I said, realizing that, okay, that still bothered me. That still bothered me not being able to see my career all the way through. Uh, I, you know, I'm not sure if there's anything else that I've, I'll ever do, and this may sound sad and maybe slightly morbid, but, like, I'm not sure if there's anything else I can do where I'll be that good at basketball. Now, I'm probably wrong on that. I'm sure there's other things that I'm really good at. Um, but, you know, to me, like, like you, put your, you put your everything into it. You put everything into perfecting your craft, and you love it, and you're passionate about it. I mean, to the point where I almost died because, you know, because I wanted to play and surgeries and infections and, you know, all of that, which I get into in the book. So, you know, it's, it's, it was really eye opening for me, but like, like I said, I, I, I'm doing some great things. I love that I'm still around the game. I love my roles and my responsibilities. And one of the things I've learned is, you know, I just want to, I want to be around the game. I want to be in leadership positions um, and I, and I know what I want to do and I'm doing that now, but it took some time and some self-discovery to get to that point. Trade pros, whether you specialize in service or new construction, Ferguson knows firsthand how much work goes into a long day on the job, which is why we're committed to offering the products and solutions to get every job done right. With over a thousand locations, an unmatched selection of specialty products, tools, and supplies, our pro pickup and Samer next day delivery, you can trust that doing business with Ferguson will be the easiest part of your hard day's work. Visit ferguson.com to find a counter location near you. It's so amazing, Grant. Like that, this is why I respect so much about the book and the way you went about this and the way you just opened yourself up to this and made yourself vulnerable because the fact of the matter is, I think on the outside, and I've always said this, Grant, since I've had this job, we don't really know any of these guys. How could we possibly know anybody? I can't know somebody from, and you know, the world's changed. When you and I first met way back in the day, there wasn't social media, there wasn't much of an internet, you know, so you'd have these conversations, but on the outside looking in, I think that most people who really know the game or really know about your career know that you went to hell and back in terms of injury. But they remember Grant Hill. It's like you made it look so easy. There's like this video clip of Coach K saying he doesn't even run. Like he just kind of floats. It's just it's Grant. Like you were so fundamentally sound and made it look so easy and you were so smooth. But the fact of the matter is it's not like that, man. Everything, even for you, it's hard. And you open yourself up and you're vulnerable. It really is amazing, and that you've done this super, super hard work and this deep dive that we all have to do. And you know, even if you're a Hall of Famer, it, you're not above that. Like you are living the same kind of life. But yeah, I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say? Like you're you're different, but not so different from the rest of us. We all have to do that deep dive, that hard work on ourselves. You know, we do. And and you make a great point. Look, I mean, I think I don't know what people's perception. Uh, is of me but you know i think people know my story they know my my parents my dad's career my mom uh you know growing up sort of with a a level of privilege uh at, at that time uh going to duke having success um you know i i think they think everything is easy and and maybe in a way i i projected that you know and and 
Um, but, you know, like in the book, I talk about self-doubt. I talked about lacking confidence, particularly during my adolescent years and even into college. Uh, and that's on the court and off the court. Um, it's really a coming of, you know, coming of age story, I think, which we all can kind of relate to. But, you know, just, you know, as an athlete, so much of your, you know, success is projecting confidence and body language. You know, you go to the park and you, you can sense when somebody's scared. You can sense when somebody's scared when you're playing in the NBA. And so being able to project to the world, to my opponent, you know, to my classmates at Duke, that I got it all together when really I was struggling like a lot of other people. Not that it wasn't major struggles, but it was just struggles with, with confidence, like I said. And, and then also, you know, one of the things that I dealt with and I really get into in the book as well is, and particularly at an early age, and I was introverted, I was shy, I stuttered. Um, but this idea of standing out, like I wanted to blend in. I didn't want to stand out and I was quiet. I, I, you know, I had a lot of friends who stood out, you know, during high school and growing up, but I was uncomfortable standing out, but to become a really good player, you have to stand out. And part of what I share is learning how to become comfortable with standing out. When I was enshrined into the hall of fame, one of my, one of my presenters was coach K. And one of the things I thanked him for was giving me permission to be great. And I don't know if a lot of people understood that. He understood it because he knew who I was and what I was going through, but not everybody else. But, like, he pushed me and challenged me. And sometimes it was pleasant, sometimes it wasn't pleasant. But that was part of my growth, and that's what I needed. And my last year, I couldn't hide behind Christian Leitner who was an elder statesman. I couldn't hide behind Bobby Hurley, who was an elder statesman. Because, you know, back then, guys stayed four years, and typically the seniors were, were in charge of the team, you know, and, and, and that's kind of how it worked back then. Um, and so my senior year, it was on me. And that was the biggest, uh, that was the, the, the greatest growth for me uh, during my time in college happened my senior year. I, I got pushed out of my comfort zone and got to a point where I was comfortable with that responsibility and I think really helped prepare me for the expectations that come with being a top pick when I got to the NBA. It's amazing stuff. So, Grant, like I'm picking my spots because I know we don't have a ton of time together beyond this, and this is a fascinating conversation. When you mentioned Coach K, like you have this perspective, and obviously he's been around – for so, so long, and he's got an amazing perspective in and of itself. How do you think that he processes, and, and knowing where he is in his life, in basketball, and with his family and his grandkids and everything else, how do you think he processes the way his career ended with consecutive losses to Carolina when you know how badly, how badly he wanted it? He knows what's important, and he has his priorities, but how do you think that's going to sit with him the rest of his life? Do you think he's already processed that, or is that going to take some work? Yeah, I think he's processed it. I mean, I, I, coaches, you know, I think for him, you know, one of the, like I remember going to the 1999 NCAA championship game. It was in P, uh, St. Petersburg and Duke led by Elton Brand and Corey Maggette, 
Battier, Trajan Langdon, really maybe one of the greatest and most talented Duke teams of all time. Um, they lost to, I think, UConn in that game. And I went in the locker room, and I was shocked because Coach K was okay. And, I mean, I, I thought I might have to go in there and pick him up and, you know, just, you know, his mood and his energy. But, you know, he, he was okay. And I, and I think he understands that, you know, you're not going to win them all. And, but, you know, it's how you prepare. Did you, did, did you get buy-in? Did, did everyone play for one another? And, you know, like all these sort of attributes that are necessary for championships and success, uh, I think he's, you know, he enjoyed this season. I think he enjoyed this team. We broadcasted him with, you know, Jim Nance, Bill Raftery, Tracy Wolfson. We did every one of their games during this tournament run. And it was like he was having fun. And he let, he let his, his, his hair down, let his guard down a little bit. You know, he was funny in interviews. He was relaxed. Like, I think he was just like, look, this is it, and I'm going to enjoy it. And um, so, I, I, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's disappointed. He doesn't want he, – look, he doesn't want to lose to anybody, let alone North Carolina in his last game. Um, but I think he understands the totality of what he did. I think he was in a real appreciative mood. And, um, you know, he gave those kids everything he had. And that, you know what? They gave him everything they had. And I think back to when I was being recruited by Coach, and he said that very thing. If you come to Duke, every day I will give you my very best. And the only thing I ask in return is you give me your very best. And I just think watching this team, being close to that team during the tournament, you know, I mean, they, they gave their best. They lost, and that happens sometimes, and – you know, I don't think he's losing any sleep over it. He may have the first week, but I think he's okay now and doing okay. And, and, and really, I think transitioning, trying to figure out, okay, what is this retirement thing all about? And, um, but I, I don't think he's going to go away. I think we'll still see him, and he'll still be around, and uh, it'll be fun to see him make that transition. <laughs> Oh, yes. I love that sound. Puts a smile on my face every single time because that is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. What Shopify does is it gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and keep you informed effortlessly. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Believe me, I I know this. I've lived this. I know where we started with this podcast and I know where we are right now. I love how Shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. They're that good. And like our business, Shopify has powered over millions of others from first sale to full scale. You can reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is Possibility powered by Shopify. So go to shopify.com slash Rome 
all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Try it for yourself for 14 days. Grow your business with Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E right now. Shopify.com slash Rome. You've made this transition thing beautiful itself. Grant, I want to ask you really quickly before you go about the transition or maybe one story. I mean, you have got stories for for weeks, years, forever, but the stuff that you and I are covering is so interesting and so important. I do want to ask you, you were part of that college squad that was thrown together that beat the 92 Dream Team in that first scrimmage. What do you remember about that scrimmage? Well, I remember, first of all, Roy Williams was our coach. He was at Kansas at the time. And Allen Houston, Penny Hardaway, Mashburn, Bobby Hurley, Montross, uh, Rodney Rogers, it was eight of us. And we were all, Chris Weber, we were all nervous. Um, but they wanted us to play like the international players play. They wanted us to play fast. They wanted us to shoot a lot of three-pointers. Uh, and so we came out and we took it to them, Jim. Allen Houston hit like 10 threes. Weber was a load inside. Penny and I were athletic in transition, getting to the rim. Bobby, dribble, like we just, everybody played well. And, you know, we beat them. And, and, you know, obviously it's been talked about. And, you know, we, you know, I get it. It was their first day. They were all trying to figure things out. The next two or three days they smacked us. (laughs) So we had no chance. But, you know, it showed me, and I think it showed all of us as, college players literally on the verge of becoming pro in the next year or two that we could play on this level. And I think we all took so much from that experience and we all talk about it to this day. I mean, we talk about it constantly. Like we feel like we need to do a documentary. Like we need to do a documentary on that experience from our perspective. I mean, we're hanging with magic. We're with Michael Scotty, I mean, we're like, we're, we're playing we're with these guys who are legends and we're hanging with them off the court. We're playing cards or what? Well, we're watching them play cards. We're playing golf with them. We're just being around them. It was incredible. Uh, but we did beat them. We beat the greatest basketball team ever assembled uh, in their first game that they ever played together. And that was pretty special for us. Incredible. You know, Grant, one last thought. What's amazing at least to me, when you laid out those names of some of the guys on the team and some, I mean, I'm talking about the college players, some of the best ever, strangely, the name that resonated with me, and maybe this is because I am where I am in my life, maybe it's because you and I are having a conversation, as I mentioned, you and I kind of came up together when I was getting my first TV break, you were a young stud coming up, and we had conversations. You want to know the name that resonated with me that you just mentioned? Rodney Rogers. Rodney. Rodney. Like, he... God, what a such a great dude, right? Like, what do you when you think about him as a guy and a player? What comes to mind? Well, you know, Rodney and I, we were in the same class in high school. We were roommates at the McDonald's All American game. Uh, Rodney went to Wake Forest. Uh, was from Durham. Uh, his nickname was the Durham Bull. Uh, so he would come back uh, home and come by and visit uh, me on campus. Me and Tony Lang when we were. Uh, in the dorms, and so Rodney was a was a great friend, and uh, but he was strong. He was athletic. He could shoot. Um, I mean, he was he was incredible, particularly in college, uh, and had a good pro career. 
and it's sad, you know, he, he unfortunately had an accident on a, on an ATV, one of those motorbikes and, and is paralyzed now. And it's just, it's sad to know that and to see that because he was such a strong person uh, and to see him now immobile like he is, uh, is really, really tough, but he's got a great spirit about him. And like I talked earlier about being an athlete, like he hasn't quit, like he's still living his life. He still has a great personality uh, and he's still fighting, even though, you know, he, um, you know, he can't walk. So, but he was a great, great talent as were all those guys. And, uh, and that was a shared experience that for all of us, uh, we'll never forget. Yeah, I don't. I don't mean to be heavy, but I want to get your thoughts because God, he's such a good dude and such a great player. Yeah. And I want to make sure people remember him and remember that. Grant, one last thought: like your next life, the transition you've made to USA Basketball. I can remember, and I haven't spent. It's been a few years, but I've been around Jerry Colangelo, and anybody who has knows what kind of a presence this dude is. Like he's one of those guys when he walks in the room, you feel it. I mean, he could be a pretty intimidating guy, and even with your pedigree and your knowledge and your basketball acumen and IQ, you could probably speak to that. Those are some pretty big shoes to fill. What's that been like so far? You know, it's been great. Uh, Jerry, as you said, he is, um, he's done so much for the game. And getting a chance to spend time with him over the last year and a half, you know, his contributions, I mean, there's so much that he's done that I was unaware of. Uh, going back before he even started the Phoenix Suns, uh, with, when he was with the Chicago Bulls and even helping to come up with the name, the, the Bulls. Uh, I mean, just an incredible story and a contributor to the game, uh, an incredible presence. What he's done or what he did with USA Basketball at a time where it was really in trouble and it lost its way. He brought structure. He brought organization. He brought resources. He brought a, an incredible vision, uh, and he was able to execute on that. And so, you know, Anytime there's succession, you know, you, 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 you don't try to be that person. You try to be yourself. You want to be authentic. Uh, I also think that you, you, it's a chance to, 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 you know, try to enhance some things maybe and press the reset button on some other areas. Um, every generation is different. You know, my generation was very different than, you know, LeBron and Carmelo and that generation, uh, which is very different than this young generation that's emerging uh, and entering the league now. And so we have to continue to adapt and adjust and look for best practices and really try to reflect that new generation uh, as that's transitioning. And so that's what we've tried to do, but also keep a lot of the same principles and staples and things that Jerry's been able to incorporate. But it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it. Uh, it's a pressure cooker. This is not a ceremonial thing. The international game really belongs to the international players. It's a different game than our NBA game. So we have to respect that, um, and we have to know that, uh, and we have to accelerate. You know, we have to come together in a very short period of time, learn the game, learn the rules, you know, come together as a team and give ourselves a, the best opportunity to win a gold medal. <laughs>
The future will be great, but today is just as incredible. Meet Nissan's most advanced lineup. If you can't get enough adrenaline, there is the all-new 400 HP Nissan Z. Or, for your off-road adventures, check out the all-terrain Nissan Frontier. And for something more electric, there is the stylish Nissan Aria. So, let's enjoy the ride. 2023 Aria and Z not yet available for purchase. Expected availability this spring for 2023 Z and this fall for the 2023 Aria. Grant, last thought. I was going to let you go, but you mentioned generational. I just got to ask you this. Like, Draymond Green, for the record, I love Draymond Green. I am team Draymond. It's a big Draymond Green house. I love the guy. He was pushing back recently on the guys in the 80s and 90s. And you just said, listen, there are different generations. It's all different. We're not saying one's better. They're just different. Let me ask you, does Draymond not really understand what went down back then? Or do the guys back then not understand what's going down today? Yeah, you know, the thing that's a little disheartening is that there's this back and forth between generations. And I get where present day guys are, you know, defensive and feel like under, you know, underappreciated and respect and, uh, and not respected because us older guys are constantly talking about how things were different back in the day. And I feel vice versa. I think some of the older guys as well, you know, I, I, I think, you know, the thing I take from that whole situation with Maxwell, uh, I get it. The rules were different back in the day. There was more physicality. Uh, you could get into fights and not get thrown out of a game. You might get a check or a hard foul, and they kept it moving. And so I get where, where, where Cedric Maxwell, where he was coming from, in response to how Draymond was playing in game two. The thing where I think where Maxwell went wrong was he said he would have got punched in the mouth. If he said we would have been fighting or we would have been scrapping, then okay, I don't think Draymond responds. But if somebody says, hey, you're going to get punched in the mouth, well, yeah, you're going to respond, and you're going to, be, you're going to take offense to that. And so, you know, I, I, I like Draymond. Uh, I love Cedric Maxwell. I think, you know, but there's a difference. There's a difference in the style of play. There's a difference in the physicality. Uh, there's a difference in just the workload and, you know, work management or whatever you want to call it, load management. Um, but, I, you know, I'm a fan of both. And that's part of evolution as part of how the game's grown and changed, you know. And, um, but I don't like this sort of back and forth between generations. We should respect the older players. They paved the way. They're legends. And as older players, we should respect the young guys, you know, and what they're doing. And understand that they've had a different life and a different set of experiences, a different upbringing. You know, they've had social media their whole life. They've had technology. You know, we didn't have that back in the day. And so each, you know, I always say, I can't raise my children the way I was raised. And my kids have grown up differently. And, and so we parent differently. And I think the same thing applies to, 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 to professional sports. These, these players today are different. And, and that, that doesn't make them better or worse. It's just, you know, it's just a fact. And so as a result, things around them, how they're coached, how they're trained, uh, how they approach the game is very different than what it was 20, 30, 40 years ago, as it should be. 
Grant, I'm so glad that you wrote that book. I'm so glad you wrote the book game for yourself, obviously, because of what that enabled you to do, to take that deep dive, to take that look within, to maybe kind of you know, pursue some things or address some things that had not been addressed. I'm glad because it gave you and I an opportunity to get caught up. That I've done this a long, long time. That was as interesting and insightful a conversation as I've had on this podcast or any of my daily shows in a very, very long time. So I want to say to you, and I, I do more of this now that I've reached this point in my career, I have great admiration and great respect for you and that message and the work that you did. And I want to make sure that you know that I feel that way. So I, I really do have a great admiration and respect for you. And I do appreciate the conversation so much. I think the book is amazing. Hey, I appreciate you, man. I've always been a a, a fan and a friend of yours and you're the best in the business. So for you to, for you to say that, man, that, that means something. So very grateful over here on this, on my end. And you know what, when I write my next book, More Game, I look forward to coming back and talking with you again in the future. My man, I can't wait for that. That is great because I know there is more game and I know you have more to say. So I appreciate that. Grant, thanks for everything. I appreciate the relationship and the friendship and congratulations on an amazing book, Grant. All right. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. Once again, I want to reiterate, that is an amazing conversation. That is just simply one of the most insightful interviews slash conversations I have ever had. My thanks to Grant Hill for not only making himself available, but giving us that kind of access and making himself that vulnerable and that open. That was truly remarkable. And in fact, that is why I do this podcast. There is no way I could possibly have that kind of conversation on any of my other shows. Certainly not The Daily Show, which I love. But you need more runway. You need more real estate, and especially for somebody like Grant Hill. This is why I do this, so I can have a conversation like that. This is why this exists in the first place. So once again, I want to thank Grant Hill. The book is absolutely amazing. That conversation was tremendous. If you enjoyed the chat, just know there's a mountain of content waiting for you as well. We have over 200 episodes that are in the bank, and we're not going to quit pumping these things out anytime soon. So if you would, can you take a second and subscribe? That way, every single episode will find you, and you don't have to go looking for it. And in the meantime, while you do that, I'm going to gift you something really important, your voicemails. First new message. What's up, man? Smack, it's Brady. So here's why so many callers or so many people listening don't like the caller who you refer to as Paul's dog. It's because he's not actually Paul's dog. Now, if you were to more accurately call him fake Paul's dog, then he would instantly become universally beloved, just like fake Silk, fake Matt in L.A., fake John in New York, and all the other fake callers. Trust me on this one, Jim. Message saved. Next message. Rome, Ken and Lyndon. Just listening to Myron Roll. It was awesome. The guy is so well-spoken, such a smart guy, such a thoughtful guy. And then afterwards, there's a voicemail from Dr. Dave. Has anybody been more diametrically opposed who calls himself a doctor, who sounds like an idiot, who's not well-spoken, who's not well-thought-of? It's amazing. Have a great day. Message saved. Next message. Jimmy, what's up? It's Dr. Dave. I got to have to agree with the big head. Whoppers are ass. I fractured a tooth all the way through on Halloween last year. Had to get it fucking extracted. Had to get a bone graft in my jaw and get a new implant like five months later. Fuck Whoppers. They are fucking cereal ass. Later, bitches. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim. Rob from Reno. 
Hey, Matt from L.A. You know, I remember your call responding to DA and you said God hates ugly. Well, guess what, dude? Your call about me was ugly. I mean, of all the clones to go against me, kind of funny you would be the one <laughs> to do that. Dude, when you call the jungle, I turn it up. I like you. So calm down and, you know, don't forget that hate will shorten your lifespan, my friend. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Vance, back Keith in Missouri. I'm 62, but I'm looking to reinsert myself into competitive mode. I'm also a preacher. Yeah, there's a preacher in the jungle. And about a month ago, you had a, a guest on say, the standards get harder and harder to follow, but those who can adjust and follow the standards will rise to the top. Jim, I took that and made it into a sermon series. Amen. That's wisdom, ain't it, Jim? That's wisdom. So, yeah, I'm looking to find myself at 62 to see where I fit in. Peace unto you and your friends, man. Talk to you later listening to the show. Keep still in the jungle. I'm out. Message saved. Next message. Romy, Justin in Melbourne. I'm getting a little bit tired of playing chess down here in the podcast basement while everybody else is playing checkers. I mean, not to go all baggy, Chris and Wisco, with some stats, but I am the five-time champ. Uh, 162 racks of the 228 voicemail podcast you've had. So uh, I think it's about time I come upstairs and do some big game hunting. Message deleted. Next message. Jimmy, Jimmy, it's me, Connor. Where the fucking hell you been, Jimmy? It's me, Connor. Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid has climbed to the top of the fucking hill, Jimmy. Now all I got to do is skate down that fucking hill and get the Stanley Cup. Say it, Jimmy, the new man in town, Connor. Connor McDavid. Message deleted. Next message. Message saved. You have no more messages. Good night now!